The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. We are uh, ready to go here right now and after the show or any other time to reach John and his team. Always ready to lend a hand. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And there is a website built some time ago, uh, constructed just for you. It's free, it's anonymous, and it's got all kinds of information uh, of a lot of the points I just mentioned a few minutes ago. And it's also got the severance pay calculator rolled into it called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Always consult there first and then carry on, if you wish, with a phone call. Lots to get through today. We'll get to uh, everything you need to know about constructive dismissal. And if we have time, things your employer won't tell you. How about that? We'll pull that curtain back. But first, a... uh, a couple things going on in your world, John. What's uh, what's going on with the case or cases of the day? What's happening with you? Good morning, John, on this beautiful Saturday morning, and I'm happy to be here talking about, well, my favorite thing to talk about, which is <laughs> rights in the workplace. Uh, and it has been uh, a pretty busy, busy summer, although thankfully uh, people are finally starting uh, to take vacations and go away. So things uh, we've got a little bit of a breath, but things keep happening. Um, and the big issue uh, that is uh, coming across my desk is the end of infectious disease emergency leave. And that's exactly the first situation that I want to talk about. This is a case that I've seen recur again and again lately, which is individuals were placed on leave or layoff at the, at the beginning of the pandemic. Remember that? It was over two, <laughs> two years ago, two and a half yeah. years ago. Remember, people used to have a job and they were put on leave and then the companies now just forgot about them, never called them back. Well, this particular individual that I want to talk about was employed as a payroll manager at a Canadian branch of a large international enterprise. And as it so happens, she'd been employed for this company and the predecessor companies for 30 years. She was told back in July of 2020, so a few months after the declaration of a, you know, an international pandemic, uh, that she was going to be placed on infectious disease emergency leave, what has, you know, we all know as IDEL, I-D-E-L. And again and again, IDEL is extended, and she's repeatedly told, we're going to bring you back, you know, things are still tough, we're going to bring you back as soon as business gets back to normal. Well, it never happens. And about a week ago, she reached out to me, she said, I want to move on here. I've been waiting for this company to call me back, and it just seems like they're playing games with Mm -hmm. me at this point. In fact, I haven't heard from them at all in the last six months. What can I do here? The answer to that question is that her employment has been terminated. In fact, not only has her employment been terminated, but by failing to bring her back to work by the beginning of August after infectious disease emergency leave expired, the company is in violation of the Employment Standards Act. So she is going to be entitled to her full severance. And for her, that is going to be 24 months pay because of her tenure in her position. So this is going to be a very straightforward matter, actually, to resolve. And I'm glad that she called us because this is a six-figure entitlement, and it would have been terrible uh, for her to walk away from that after dedicating so many years of her life to this company. You know, So the important thing for anyone who's listening, if you were placed on IDEL, even if you were placed on IDEL more than two years ago, it's not too late yet, but it could be too late if you wait too long. So Do not wait. If you want to claim your severance entitlements, the time is now. Reach out to an employment lawyer. 
And again, to do that, especially in the, with John and his team, you could do that anytime. Uh, the firm, San Firo to Market, of course, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. What else you got going on this morning, pal? I don't want to pick on employers, but this, uh, as we often do, uh, but <laughs> this uh, next uh, situation is is some fairly sneaky behavior uh, on behalf of a uh, on the part of a mid sized distribution company. So this involves a person who had been working for the company for ten years as a director, and she was recently asked to sign a new employment contract, and that was the first time she contacted me. So we reviewed the contract, and it had all kinds of clauses restricting her termination rights, as a company is entitled to ask for and as it's very much a company's interest to do. Uh, So the company could change her geographic location. Uh, They, of course, restricted her termination rights. That's the big one. Uh, They increased the discretion to deny her a bonus. All kinds of very, very disadvantageous terms for her and very advantageous terms for the company. So she advised the company... Thanks, but no thanks. I see that you're, you know, uh, offering me a thousand dollars to sign this contract, but that's just not worth it for me. So I'm going to say no. And the company said to her, "Well, this is the contract we're applying to all of our employees. So we're going to insert a thousand dollars on your next pay, and you can either quit or if you stay on, you are deemed to have accepted the terms of this contract." And no, she responds, I'm not accepting this contract. I'm not quitting. I'm going to work under my old contract terms. Well, the company did not like this at all. So they waited a week and then they terminated her employment. They said it was without cause, but they said they're doing it pursuant to the quote unquote new contract. The new contract offers her only the bare minimum employment standards entitlements. So they paid her about four months pay. Well, actually, as it so happens, her entitlement is 12 months pay. And because she did not sign the contract, the company cannot rely on the contract. And this is a very important lesson for any employees listening, which is why I wanted to share this story so much. Because if your employer is asking you to sign an employment contract with new termination language, it's because they want to rely on it. Mm -hmm. And you may lose your job if you don't sign the employment contract. But you may lose your job anyway. In right. fact, if they're doing it, it's because they're in, they're contemplating potentially letting you go. And if you lose your job after you have signed a contract like that, you'll be in a much worse situation. Almost every time it is not worth it. So before you make a decision, speak to an employment lawyer. Let's discuss your options. Yeah, we often talk about that anytime, especially mid-employment where there's a new contract. You know, they might They might make it seem attractive with a little bit of a bonus, which they need to pay anyway and give you something for it. But yeah, I mean, why would they do that if it's going to benefit you and worsen their situation while you're already employed? So yeah, a big red flag to that one, right? That's right. I mean, you you can't blame employers uh, for wanting to decrease their liability. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is their, it's totally legal for them to do it. So if you agree to that contract, you're stuck. The law says, well, you got that's the deal, and we're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna challenge the deal that you made. So if you're gonna make a deal, make sure you understand the deal that you're making. Everything you need to know about constructive dismissal. Uh, well, question number one, John's the obvious one. What is for those who have not been listening or not caught the show before over the last few years? What is a constructive dismissal? Well, of course, that's a that's a big question. Entire books have been written on uh, mm-hmm. what is a constructive dismissal uh, in Canada. But a constructive dismissal at its core is when the employer does something that effectively ends your employment, right? They effectively show 
that the employer relationship is over. They're putting you in a new position that you don't necessarily have to agree to. So there's lots of examples of this, right? Demotion. You're in a managerial role. You're going to a non-managerial role uh, or, or, or a lesser managerial role. Uh, they may reduce your pay. Layoff. That's a big one. We've seen a lot of that during COVID. A change in working hours. Um, a geographic transfer, although not every geographic transfer is going to be constructed as for example, if you've been working from home during the pandemic and now the employers, your employer says, we're going to bring you back to work, well, that's probably not going to be a constructive dismissal because you were working from the office before. On the other hand, if you are working in Toronto and all of a sudden they say, all right, now we want you to report to Calgary or Winnipeg uh, to come to work, well, you know, to pick up your whole family and leave, that's just not something you contemplated when you took the job. So basically, the job is over and they're offering you a new job that you don't necessarily have to accept. And when you're in a situation like that, you can treat it as a termination. And if it is a constructive dismissal, which you should always verify with a lawyer before you leave, but if it is in fact a constructive dismissal, you get your full severance. You get the same severance entitlements as anyone whose employment is terminated. It could be something is, uh, I mean, there's probably a threshold, John, but something like uh, obviously a pay reduction or, or a change of shift that can also fall into that banner too, right? Yes. So I've spoken to people over the years who they work, you know, 10 years on a day shift and all of a sudden the employer says, well, now we're going to put you in a night shift. Right. Well, that's for many people an objectively worse position to be in. Uh, and Sometimes people sign up for a night shift. Sometimes it works well for them. Sometimes it pays more and it makes sense. But if you haven't agreed to that, that's not your job. Uh, and employers often feel like, well, we're just managing our workforce. But there are limits to what an employer can do without an employee's agreement. How do you know if you've been constructively dismissed? Well, the simple answer is you speak with a lawyer. Right. You should never take the position that you're constructively dismissed unless you have spoken with a lawyer to determine that you are. Because what you have to remember is that a constructive dismissal uh, is not something you simply declare. <laughs> it's a legal test. You have to meet the legal criteria. And unless you are an employment lawyer, you're not going to know what that legal criteria is. So if you simply look it up online, you'll probably be able to find out if you are potentially constructively dismissed, right? And a great place to start is pocket employment lawyer. And that's a mm -hmm. good way to start to know, oh, you know what? I should speak to an employment lawyer because this could be constructive dismissal. But before you take the plunge, right, and actually write them and say, I'm treating my employment as constructively dismissed, you have to speak to an employment lawyer because we're going to have to look at things that you may not have thought to look at and you may not right. know how to properly interpret. Your employment agreement, the history of your employment relationship, how long ago this change happened? What was the sequence of events after the change happened? Which is why you want to not only speak to an employment lawyer, but speak to an employment lawyer quickly. Because if you wait a couple months, and let's say it's a demotion, you may be deemed to have accepted that demotion, having worked in that position. So not only is it important that you speak with an employment lawyer, but you have to do that quickly. And as John said, the uh, the first line of defense, of course, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. There is a section on constructive dismissal, so they got you covered in that regard. And you can always reach out to John and his team by phone. We'll take a short break. We'll get uh, more into our conversation of what a constructive dismissal is, how you handle it, and things your employer won't tell you a little later on in the show. And we continue in the Employment Law Show. Stand by.
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, welcome back. Employment Law Show. Good to have you here. John Pinkus, courtesy Sam Firu to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country is here. Partner with that particular firm and always reachable as well when the, we're not doing the show. That is 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Right in the middle of our talk, John, about uh, constructive dismissal. So the scenario is, you know, I'm being harassed at work or maybe the workplace has become what they call a toxic environment. Could that somehow or does it directly lead to constructive dismissal the short answer is it could it could lead mm. to a constructive dismissal but anyone who's listening or who's and particularly someone who's facing this situation or who may know someone who's facing this situation should know that this is by far the most difficult and most perilous constructive dismissal for an employee because it wow. depends entirely on how the facts come out and how those facts are interpreted. So I usually say in the case of a a poisoned work environment, it really does take uh, an extreme case uh, to become a constructive dismissal. So uh, it can't be based on your your personal uh, subjective feelings. It has to be based on the situation, right? So the fact that you may be really suffering because someone's personality doesn't match yours or you feel like someone's really being unfair perhaps your manager is not you know recognizing uh your strengths and giving you negative performance reviews it's going to be in the vast majority of cases very very difficult to establish that as a constructive dismissal what we have to see is a sustained uh uh, pattern of harassment which the company either the owner or human resources or the manager or the case may be just refuses to deal with after your attempts where you have really no um no other option but to treat it as constructively terminated is this one of those situations uh you know as far as being harassed at work so and so forth where if you have nice you know contemporaneous notes whether it's interviews you've got on your phone or you've talked to somebody or stuff you've emailed people to just have that sort of backup going into this where, look, I can have some sort of proof? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I've had clients had all kinds of evidence backing things up. So things like emails, uh, contemporaneous notes, um, not just emails to the harasser saying, you know, I don't appreciate what you've done, but also mm-hmm. emails to, you know, the powers of be, the manager, the owner, human resources, right, saying, this is going on. What are you going to do about it? I've even had people come to me with photographs, right? So in cases where inappropriate things are are left uh, on the person's desk or things like that, you know, anything that you can document. And you don't want to just keep it to yourself also, right? You're not waiting right. to share this with the lawyer. Share it with the company. Say, look, this is going on right now. Here are the here's what's happening to me. What are you going to do about this, right? And so the company can't say later that we didn't know about it. So it has a double benefit that way. You know, it's it's interesting too on, on those points where you're keeping some sort of uh, some sort of record, John. If you have emails, or you're sending emails to either the person who who's responsible or the higher ups, as you say, the people that are uh, responsible in HR. If you don't get a response from that email, does it matter? Well, no, not not in the case of of you know 
it, it doesn't matter in the sense that you still sent it and you're still going to be able to rely on it. It matters right. in the sense that you don't want to leave that lingering. You want to be able to respond and say, hey, I haven't gotten a response to this. And this is something that you often want to do with the assistance of an employment lawyer so you know exactly kind of how to frame things. And then if you get to the point where you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're, you're wits end, you can't stay anymore, you know you're going to leave. Well, at that point, you may want, with the help of an employment lawyer, to draft a letter formally asserting constructive dismissal. And I did mention there as well, you know, if you're in an interview or when this is going on, you're recording it between you and whatever person is responsible. What's the legal angle as far as being able to use stuff uh, that's recorded? Well, the law is that it is legal for you to record a conversation as long as you are a party to that conversation. You want to be very careful because um, if you record a conversation to which you are not a party, it actually could have uh, criminal uh, repercussions to it. So you need you do need to be very, very careful with that. But if you are a participant in that conversation, you can record it and we can rely on that conversation later. Now, I usually say, you know, if you can get them to confirm something by email, that's that's kind of the gold standard. But if that's not practical, then... You know, that is an option you can think about. Constructive dismissal, that is our uh, current topic for the next few minutes here. Um, constructively dismissed, if I am, do I still and can I still get severance? Right. So this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, which is if your employment has been constructively terminated, then your severance entitlements are going to be the same as anyone else whose employment has been terminated without cause. Mm. That means you go to the pocket employment lawyer, you go to the severance pay calculator, you put in your age, your position, your length of service, and you find out exactly how much you're owed. And you look at it just as if the employer gave you a letter saying, here's your notice of termination. Wow. And again, reach out all the time to uh, to John if there's any confusion uh, at that point or any other one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred help at employmentlawyer.ca. What if I decide to continue working after a negative change in my job? I go, ah, maybe I'll suck it up because I like the people I work with. Maybe it's a it's a decent job, but there has been some changes. What happens then? Well, the risk here is that if you continue working in your job, the company will argue that, well, this is just now the deal, right? If you continue working after a change has been made, the company will argue that there has been acquiescence to that change. You're in the mm -hmm. workplace, you're receiving your paycheck, and as time is going on, um, you are by your conduct, your conduct being working, getting paid, yeah. uh, and, and remaining in the workplace, you're you know, deeming to have accepted um, that change. But um, that doesn't mean that it's never going to make sense to continue working. So, for instance, if there is a change to your commission um, and you have concerns that that commission may in fact lead to you receiving less money, it actually may be risky for you to treat that as a constructive dismissal because if you treat that as a constructive dismissal the moment that it's implemented – then what may happen is the employer may be able to convincingly argue, well, you don't know what was going to happen with your commission. You didn't stay to find out. So in those cases, uh, we often counsel employees to, to state their objection, reserve their right to treat it as a constructive dismissal, but to remain with the company almost like a trial period. So the problem arises not so much from an employee who continues to work, but an employee who continues to work without objection, right? Mm. And in terms of making that objection, you often want to do that with the guidance 
of an employment lawyer. I know, you know, when we started the uh, the conversation on the constructive dismissal topic, you mentioned, you know, something like moving from Toronto to Calgary, if they try to do that, that's pretty extreme. That's a no-brainer. But if it's more of a subtle change, but you're not sure if it's disruptive uh, from the outset, I mean, it, it might take you a couple months to, you know, to get a, get a feel for it and figure out that it is no good for you. Maybe it's fine. Maybe it's better. But in the meantime, can you send an email or have a chat with your boss saying, you know, I'll take this out for a spin. We'll see how it goes, but I'm not committing right away because... This might not work for me, but I want to be a team player. How about that? You could do that, but don't make it a chat with your boss, right? Because that's not in writing, and the boss will maybe not deny that it happened, but people will remember conversations differently, right? So you have a conversation where you say, I don't like this, I'm not accepting it, but I'm Mm going to try it. And then you end up in litigation six months later negotiating a severance package. And the boss remembers it as, well, you told me you were very excited about this. It was a new environment. You needed a change. It worked well. You said that, you know, I thought you said that your gym was close by to this new location, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So you want to state it in writing. So there is no debate. But that may very well be uh, the best way to handle it. Because one thing to remember is that when we're talking about a constructive dismissal, it is a remedy of last resort, right? It's not the ideal thing to do. I mean, it, what it means is that you are acknowledging that you've lost your job, right? No one wants to lose their job. So you only want to put yourself in that position if you know you're going to leave anyway, right? If you've right. made the decision to leave anyway, it starts to matter a little bit less whether it's an actual constructive dismissal, because if it's potentially a constructive dismissal, then you're going to pursue your entitlement. So that's the first question I always ask people to ask is that given this change, are you are you done with the company? Have you made the decision that you're going to leave? And if you've made the decision that you're going to leave and you feel that the decision was uh, imposed on you and that it was not voluntary, well, then we start thinking about uh, pursuing a constructive dismissal. But if you're not interested in leaving, then we don't even get to that point, right? Because right. if you're not going to leave and you're going to stick around, well, then that's just, uh, that's the breaks, as they say. Yeah. So after hearing this, uh, you know, over the last half hour, us talking about this, John, or any other time that somebody's thinking about it, they're like, you know what, I, 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 this sounds like I've been constructively dismissed. Should I just quit now and then seek severance pay? Let's get it rolling or what? Well, the first thing that you want to do uh, is you want to speak to an employment lawyer and we'll help you prepare a letter asserting a constructive dismissal. Once we have done that, we'll reach out to the company often uh, before starting a claim Um, and then uh, try to negotiate a severance package. And if that doesn't work, then we'll escalate. Uh, But if you have been constructively dismissed and you've you've had a major change happen to you, Mm -hmm. the the classic example, the layoff, the demotion, something like that, well, then you're going to be entitled to severance and we're going to be able to help you pursue that severance package. So basically the moral of the story is if it sounds and looks like a constructive dismissal, very well could be, but do not go and pull the plug on your own without getting legal advice, right? That's right. Don't take the plunge until you've spoken to an employment lawyer. And with that, we'll take a, a short break, guys. Lots more here to come. In the meantime, I'll give you some uh, some contact information to reach out to John and his team. Uh, first of all, that website we mentioned several times, it's free. It's anonymous. It's awesome. It's built just for you. Tons of information and also the severance pay calculator. You never figured out what your severance should be. Even if you have not been let go, you can do it as a simple exercise. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is the way you do that. Email, which we'll try to get to a little later on, is help at employmentlawyer.ca and the phone number to reach John and his team. 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue more employment law shows coming up.
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show, Employment Law Show. Love it. Been doing it for over a decade or nearly a decade. We love having you uh Contribute to the show as well. You can do it a couple of different ways. You can email help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll try to get to some of those later on the show if we have time. But I want to slide over to a uh, to a new topic, John. That is things your employer won't tell you. I love this because many of these people are either unaware of or they're they're getting their information off you know Google Law School and all this stuff and it's misinformation or they're talking to their buddy next door. Oh, I've been there. I've gone through this. This is what you need to do. And these things simply are just not true. And uh, don't believe anybody but us. That's why we do the show. So we're going to uh, pull back the curtain on some of these. First one is this, and these are very common ones. I know that's why you put this list together, John. Um, number one is you are likely owed more severance than you are offered. Right. So we start with the most obvious one yeah. here, right? I mean, of course, an employer is not going to tell you that you are owed more severance than you've been offered. And and, and why would why would they do that? Uh, the reason they have offered this severance package to you in many cases is because they're hoping that you will accept something lower, often substantially lower than your full severance entitlements. And I would say, you know, over 90 to 95% of severance offers that I see are not just inadequate, but completely inadequate. Um, and the reason that an employer is doing this is because they'll hope they'll be able to cut a deal with you um, that um, that benefits them and that uh, allows them to pay you less than uh, they owe you. And it's certainly your prerogative to accept that if you want to, but you have to ask yourself, do I want to basically give a gift uh, <laughs> to the employer who just ended uh, my livelihood? And in most cases, um, I would say no, uh, because uh, this is not a good idea, because it should be actually pretty straightforward to resolve uh, and doesn't need to be uh, bitter or acrimonious in any way. And you have to think of it from the employer's perspective, right? They are not doing this. They're not offering this to you out of the goodness of their heart. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not doing it to be malicious. They're doing it because, as companies do, their function is to watch out for their bottom line. And one of the biggest expenses of any company is payroll. So that's where it's coming from. Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, you know, a more sophisticated company especially may just think that, oh, well, it's, it's one or two weeks per year. That's the standard. So that's what we're going to give you. Maybe they didn't uh, consult in a lawyer themselves. Maybe they don't have a robust HR department. So to your point, they may not realize that they're doing something uh, incorrect. But, uh, yeah, that's why they always consult you, John, or they go to a pocket uh, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca to clear out, that up really quickly. Another thing a lot of employers won't tell you is how a maternity leave affects your job. That's right. So a maternity leave does not certainly does not mean the end of your job, and it does not mean that they can do whatever they want with your job when you return. If you are coming back from a maternity leave, you have a right to your job or a comparable job unless the job no longer exists, right? So if the company doesn't exist by the time you come back, right, that's one thing. But if the company continues to exist, your job continues to exist, but or maybe your job doesn't continue to exist, but something reasonably comparable to your job exists, you have a right under the Employment Standards Act, under the Human Rights Code, to have your job reinstated, right? Another thing that employers will often uh, do is they'll say, well, you know, you're on leave, but you know, we may ask you to kind of pitch in here and there. No, when you are on leave, you are not working at all, zero. You cannot be asked to complete work during your leave. 
whether it's remote work or uh, in-person work, it doesn't matter. You should have all the time uh, to take care of your child. And by the way, you know, we talk about maternity leave, but this applies to paternity leave as well. Right. Um, if you're on paternity leave, you know, if you're if you don't have this, uh, you don't have a pregnancy leave, but you are still on a parental leave, uh, you're not going to have as long of a leave. But when you are off to take care of your child, uh, in many cases, you know, someone may want to do this for longer. If it's the first child, the same rule applies. And if your employment is terminated while you go on leave, your severance entitlement is actually going to be higher. And actually, this is something that's been explored in recent cases where people have been let go at the start of a pregnancy leave just before a pregnancy leave ends. And it is acknowledged, it's it's acknowledged by the law that it's going to be harder for those people to find a new job. So the severance right. entitlement is going to be greater. And that is the most important time to speak to an employment lawyer. Again, what happens to your uh, your job while you're off on a paternity leave? Well, they can have someone else fill your duties. Right. right. Your job still needs get done so an employer can hire someone temporary they can disperse your duties among other staff your job though has to stay in place right the only exception that is if the company goes through a massive restructuring and your job happens to be impacted by that well that might be a different story although the company can't make the decision that your job is not waiting for you until you're actually ready to come back Right. So sometimes I've seen this a lot where a company will go undergo a restructuring. Someone's three months into a 12 month maternity leave and they say, well, uh, sorry, your job doesn't exist anymore. Also illegal. The company has to wait until your maternity leave is over to determine whether they actually have a job for you because they don't know until your maternity leave is over. Bottom line, the job stays there. It has to be ready for you. Here's another one. You're not really an independent contractor. Again, you can go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca to, uh, to confirm that as well. Right. Right. So the, the question here is, and I always I always like to uh, use the same way that the courts summarize this analysis, which is who are you in business for? Right. Are you mm-hmm. a, a plumber or a contractor, someone going around from place to place, uh, working various different jobs with clients while well, you're running a business? You're in business for yourself. You control your hours. You decide what clients you negotiate your own prices um, and you don't have a nine to five schedule. You work when you want to work. Right. And you don't report to anyone. Well, in that case, you're clearly an independent contractor. But to take another example, which often comes across my desk, you know, you have someone who's paid a salary, who takes direction from someone, maybe you have performance reviews, you're working under someone else's banner. Well, almost certainly you Mm -hmm. are not an independent contractor. And if you sign an agreement saying you're an independent contractor, that does not make you an independent contractor because those provisions are going to be a violation of the Employment Standards Act. So in that case, you're going to be entitled to whatever severance you would be entitled to if you were an employee. A lot of people are going to say, "Yeah, but John, you know, I have this, uh, I have this simple agreement with uh, with my boss and myself. We both agreed that I'm going to work as an independent contractor. So what you say should be null and void at that point because we're both on board. It's not true, is it? No. What the law cares about is not what an agreement says, but what the facts are on the ground, right? Because if an agreement tries to get around the Employment Standards Act by saying, well, you know, despite the situation, we're just not going to look at the Employment Standards Act. We're going to agree that we're going to, you know, get around the Employment Standards Act. Well, the Employment Standards Act says that you can't do that. So what it means is that if you've drafted any provisions that try and get around the Employment Standards Act, those provisions are no longer going to be enforceable. So if you have a provision that says you're an independent contractor and you don't get vacation, but in fact, 
you're working as an employee when you look at the facts. Well, you are still entitled to vacation. You cannot get around minimum entitlements. You cannot get around severance entitlements uh, by calling someone an independent contractor when they are not. And that's the way that one works. I'll get to uh, to one more before we take a short break here. Uh, things your employer won't necessarily tell you. You get overtime if you're on salary. We always get phone calls about this. Oh, I don't get overtime. I'm on salary. I just get paid what I get paid. Right. And a lot of employers believe this as well. This is one of these mutual uh, myths that we try and debunk on this show because the re- reality is there is no exemption for salaried employees. Just like an hourly employee, if you are working more than, for most people, 44 hours per week, there's a few exceptions where that threshold is higher, but for the vast majority of people, it is 44 hours per week. If you're working above that, then you are paid additionally for the time over and above that, and you are paid at 1.5 times your rate of pay. So what we do if you're salaried is we calculate your hourly rate by converting your salary into 44 hours per week. Look at the hours that you've been working and you are entitled to overtime pay. An employer cannot get around this by simply paying you a salary instead of paying you by the hour. We'll get to more of those talking points and slide over to some emails. You want to send one along as we get into a break here, no problem. It might uh, might end up on air, right? Help at employmentlawyer.ca and just continue. Lots more Employment Law Show is on the way. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back to it. Uh, Employment Law Show. And uh, we like our phone calls first before we get back to our topics and discussion of the day. Raj, thank you so much for standing by for a moment. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. What's, uh, What's on your mind? A quick question regarding my wife. So she's been employed with a private college. Uh, They have multiple branches across GTA. Um, Her, uh, so her existing um, branch is terminating uh, the program she used to be uh, teaching, but apparently she got interviewed in other, uh, other set of branches for that same role. Um, but they came to know about her pregnancy, and she's going on leave in November this year. And that question was brought up a couple of times in the interviews. But what are you supposed to, going to do in November when you go to pregnancy? Because the course uh, uh, goes all the way to the December. So we're just wondering if this is something, uh, sort of a humanoid violation, because they're, con- like, I mean, that sh- question shouldn't have been arrived in those interviews. Um, so I'm just trying to understand if there's any legal obligation to this. Right. Uh, Raj, do I understand your, your wife is not a part of a union? This is a non-unionized position? No, no. Yes. Right. Okay. So, you know, in a situation like this, so she's, they're, they're terminating the program that she's teaching and they're looking at, as I understand, they're looking at placing her in a new course for her to teach. Um, but they, they want to know about her pregnancy and in terms of how that's, how that's going to fit into this. Is that, is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, you know, based on that alone, I wouldn't say that the college is doing anything inappropriate yet, right? That may change, but a college is entitled, I mean, just like with any medical condition, they're entitled to know information so they can accommodate you, right? And, and, and uh, dealing with an employee who is going on pregnancy leave is an accommodation just like any other. So if they're looking at options for her uh, based on, you know, questions about the timing of her pregnancy, 
that's all fine and well. And she should be very open with them about, you know, what her plans are to the extent she's she's made plans. Maybe she hasn't decided when she's going to be coming back. But the moment that they say to her, well, you know, we really can't do this. We don't have anything for you. We're not sure this is going to work. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when you may want to get um, a lawyer involved because it may start to look like she's not going to have a job to come back to. Um, and that becomes a question of, well, did they did this? Be, did they really do this because they had no choice, or did they do it because it was simply inconvenient for them? Right? And we start getting into issues. There, of, yeah, there have been conversation where their where their where supervisor asked her to basically resign. Uh, I I mean, they don't have course load. We understand that, but I don't know if, if it makes sense for them to just say, "Could you resign?" <laughs> because that to me doesn't no. make sense. I think the next step would have been to just say. We're going to lay you off because we don't have work to accommodate you. But you can't just say, we're going to, like, can you resign because we don't have work for you? No, that that's completely inappropriate. And, and Raj, it sounds like uh, uh, the three of us should probably have a call off air uh, to discuss this further. Because if she's been asked to resign, that's the kind of thing that you want to put in writing to them to confirm that you are not doing right. The kind of thing you want to say, look, you know, the, during this meeting, I was asked to resign and I want to be clear that I'm not doing that. I'm taking a leave of absence and I expect to come back to a position. And this is the kind of thing that you probably should respond with guidance uh, from a lawyer. So I would I would strongly recommend uh, that you, you speak with either myself or another employment lawyer about this, uh, because if if it's at the point where they're already saying you should resign, well, you know, they've made their intentions pretty clear. And, and that's uh, you know, often a very sneaky way of an employer trying to get around it by saying, oh, we didn't fire her. Uh, she quit. Uh, big yeah. problem. Big red flag. Definitely warrants a discussion. OK, thanks, guys. Thanks, Raj. Appreciate that. Enjoy the uh, the rest of your weekend for sure. Just want to get to a couple more of these before we uh, before we wrap up. Uh, John, at least that's one anyway. Things your employer won't tell you. Important one though. If the business is sold, you don't have to accept a job with the buyer. Break that down. Right. So this gets a little bit complex because if you don't accept a job with a buyer, um, it could impact your severance. Right. So it is true that if the business is sold, and we're talking not about a uh, share purchase, but an asset uh, purchase and sale. Um, if the business is sold and you don't uh, accept employment with the purchaser, then it becomes a termination. Right? Mm. If you do accept employment with the purchaser, then your employment just uh, basically continues. Uh, but when you're making that decision whether to continue your employment, whether to accept the job with the new business, you have to look at whether that actually is your job or something comparable. If it is comparable uh, and you don't accept it, then basically your employment, you treat your employment as terminated with the seller. You may have entitlements to severance from the seller, but it may only be your minimum entitlements because the, court, the law will not compensate you as much if you turned down a job that you very well could have and probably should have accepted. Uh, but you want to make sure that you're thinking about this carefully and that you're making this decision carefully if um, you're unsure about this new company. And you also want to make sure that you don't release the previous employer until you know uh, that the new employer is really offering you the same job. Because if the new job doesn't work out, you may want to pursue your old employer. 
Again, uh, you want to reach out to John anytime when we're not doing the show. Uh, it is really simple. The number is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help at employmentlawyer.ca. Let's get to a quick uh, email before we wrap for the morning. Langdon, uh, am I still entitled to receive my bonus if I quit before it becomes due? Quit before it becomes due. Right, right. Very, uh, very, very tricky situation. Um, if you are in a position where you're going to be resigning, um, but you are uh, potentially owed a bonus, safest thing, if you can, always wait until that bonus actually becomes payable. Not earned, but payable. And once you get the bonus, you leave. But if you're not in a position to be able to do that, it's going to depend on what the company has communicated to you. So if you've signed an agreement that you don't get the bonus, uh, if you leave uh, before the bonus becomes due and that agreement is enforceable, then you won't get the bonus. If you haven't been advised, then you may get the bonus. That's the time to speak to an employment lawyer. And with that, we'll take it for the uh, the day. I want to reach out again to John now that we're done. one 855 Phone, email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And that website, it's handy. It's free. It's anonymous. It's built for you. Use it anytime. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll see you next time on the Employment Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.